Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So I love the high-level geopolitics stuff and trying to figure out what's going on and taking in as much news as I can on, for instance, the fact that Russia has got 100,000-some troops along with all the equipment you need to take over a country right on the border with Ukraine. And uh, as I heard somebody say yesterday, there's no way you would bluff this big. It's too expensive. You'd, you'd, you would not do this unless you were at least considering the option of going into Ukraine. Uh, mm, good guest I saw. Good yeah. guest I saw on, uh, where was this guest? I think it was on Brian Williams' show on MSNBC last night, talking about um, he may his, his rationale might be cross the border and run for Kiev and just absolutely take over the country. Take over the whole country, including the capital. And is the world going to stop him? I don't know. Or, lots of pictures of Putin and uh, Xi of China together. What if they move at the same time? What if they coordinated at the same time? What if Putin moves on Ukraine at the same day, the same hour, that China moves on Taiwan? How the hell is the world and us going to handle that? I'll tell you. We will unleash upon both of those malign powers the most serious and indignant speeches you've ever heard in your life and announce some thoroughly middling sanctions on them. So Gary Kasparov, I don't know if you know his act. He was a former chess champion, uh, but he grew up in the Soviet Union and he hates Putin. Um, and uh, he's, he's an interesting read whenever he pops up with an op-ed in a newspaper. But anyway, I saw him interviewed the other day and he thought the Biden phone call was awful, mostly because if you take two hours to say what you're going to say, then you didn't do it right. It should have been about a five-minute phone call. Look, you cross that line, the world is going to bring down holy hell. Don't even think about it. Click. As opposed to hours, hours of hemming and hawing and mission and mashing? Come on now. How can Biden. you possibly have a threat that sticks that takes two hours? Biden is a very different character than Obama, but I think he thinks he can charm and good old boy and backslap and, uh, and, and, uh, you know, good old, uh, what town in Pennsylvania is he from again? I was going to say Redding, but he's not from Redding. He's from Scranton. Uh, Scranton. Scranton. Yeah. He's just going to give, put on the old Scranton charm. You know, don't bring, make me bring out my apology chain. No, we can work this out. Uh, and he's wrong. He's just completely wrong. You know, I was reading one of those um, global risk assessment things from one think tank or another. Let me scan over there. Whose is this? It's uh, uh, Bruce Melman and uh, Melman, Castagnetti, Rosen and Thomas. They do the similar thing to Ian Bremmer uh, and, uh, and his outfit. But one of the main risks they see is Biden's perceived softness. And I think Gary Kasparov, who is an unblinking observer of Russian and Soviet history, would agree. Mm. Uh, Ukraine commanders out today saying their country is not equipped to stop a full-scale attack by Russia. And without major military aid from the West, they're in bad shape. Hmm. I don't know how much military aid we're going to give them or the rest of the world. Well, and, you know, how much would do any good, honestly. Um, although, as you made the point, they are not a excuse me military. They're they're a pretty serious military, right. and they would certainly uh, lay some costs on Vlad Putin, but at an enormous and tragic cost to themselves. Yeah, um, and it's uh, it's interesting. I haven't heard anybody bring up the nuke angle. I mean, the only country that is even close to us in terms of nuclear weapons is Russia. You start battling with a, another nuclear power, and you know, 
things can go sideways. That's not going to happen. We're not going to we're not going to have kinetic action against Russia. There's no nope. way. Biden announced that yesterday. He yeah. said that's not on the table for U.S. troops to. Is that a good idea to take that off the table? Hard to say. It Might is off avoid the table. a tragic think, misunderstanding. We all know it's off the tra- table. Oh, you think that's it? You don't want to? You don't want Putin to think we would we would get involved? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's uh, difficult to. I mean, there's so many potential, uh, you know, twists and turns this thing might take. But um, it it could be that Biden just wanted the Ukrainians to know we are not riding to your aid over the hill like uh, Gandalf, you gotcha. know, with our army of whatnot. Um, it's well, just not going to happen. What do you think of the possibility of China and Russia moving at the same time? They both would delight so much in like sticking it to the United States. I'd be horrified by it. I don't think it's uh, it would be shocking. It's much more a gamble for China than Russia. Um, just uh, to to take Taiwan being so incredibly disruptive to the world economy. I'm not sure. I mean, Xi Jinping probably thinks he can take it because he's got a thousand year plan. But I mean, if if you think the tide of anti-China attitudes around the globe is is high now. I mean, wait till they do that. Wait till, you know, Tim Cook actually says, Apple shareholders, we're going to have no profits for the next 15 years, and I feel awful about that, but we're out. We're out. Joe Biden's Um, actual quote from yesterday was, we have a moral obligation and a legal obligation to our NATO allies if they were to attack under Article 5. That obligation does not extend to Ukraine. That's correct. As ruled out sending U.S. troops to Ukraine in the event of a Russia invasion. No, that is correct. Yeah, yeah. That was one of several quotes from Biden yesterday. Actually, uh, in clip 52, uh, Michael, we hear several more. Now he's a county executive in Jackson County, resident in the business uh, to, uh, uh, as well. You know, I mean, this guy's done it all. Look. Look. As Manuel's, as Manuel said, we're, we're in a situation where we've known that our infrastructure had problems for a long, long time. Under the leadership of mayors like, uh, you know, our mayor here. This is the United States of mayor, for God's sake. Wait, wait a second. United Stake for mayor. We've already this is got the United the... States of mayor, for God's sake. United Stake of mayor for. Uh, we already have the T-shirts, I believe, designed at armstrongandketty.com, <laughs> featuring, I believe, a delicious-looking T-bone steak. That Come was a- on. That was a particularly uh, bad episode for the president right there. Jeez, that was one speech yesterday or a couple of appearances. I'm not even sure, but uh, where's that picture of the if they United Stake Amerifer? If they do indeed give him uh, you know, medicines to make him sharp, they obviously don't give it to him all the time. Maybe <laughs> this is the United Stake Amerifer, for God's sake. Oh, there it is. Okay, here it is. United Stakes of Amerifer, for God's sakes. <laughs> Wow, it would be funny if it. Well, it is funny. Uh, it would be funnier if it not if it were not for the enormous global stakes. S a t s t a k e s stakes uh, at the present. I don't know. Can I between, hear that last part between the one, president and me? It's difficult to understand what the hell's going on. Just one more time for that last part, Michael. This is the United States of America, for God's sake. United Stake Amer, for God's sake. Yeah, it's not steak. Beef. It's not, yeah, thank you, sir. It's not steaks plural. It's United Stake Amer, for God's sakes. Yes? This is the United Stake Amer, for God's sake. Can I have that with the uh, Mabuspin wet sauce, please? 
Oh, boy. Oh, golly. Oh, <laughs> golly. I remember as a young uh, adult, uh, still steeped in the news. Nice job, Gladys. Uh, during the Reagan administration, I would hear lefty commentators, cartoonists, editorialists just go on and on and on about how Reagan was senile, how he was clearly senile. And uh, Reagan on his worst day, and granted, he was fading at the end, but mm-hmm. his bus never been wet, Reagan's. I mean, he, he wasn't dining at, what's the name of the, the restaurant again? My bus been wet. My no, bus been wet. No, the steak place he frequents. This is the United States of America, for God's sake. That's right. United States of America, for God's sake. <laughs> Holy crap. I remember, I was really hoping for one of those during the debate. That's what I was hoping for. And he made it through all the debates without doing that. I thought it would just be so awesome if he dropped one of those. And Trump said, okay, can we, let's all, let's, let's, let's back up a little bit. What was that you just said? <laughs> Did you just oh say gosh. the United States of America? This what, is the what? United States of America, for God's sake. For God's sake. I mean, I'd argue with you on this point, but I'm not sure what you're saying. I thought that would happen. I thought that would be hilarious. But never yeah. happened. They gave him a big shot in the ass. Yeah. You remember? He was able oh, to pull it off. Speaking of Trump and the election, stuff like that, Matt Taibbi wrote a great piece about uh, the evolution of Twitter and why the crackdown on free speech on Twitter actually happened. It was Trump. Um, I, I thought that was terrific. We'll see if we can squeeze that in this hour. I'd also like to get in another excerpt of our conversation with Sam Quinones, the guy who's been writing about the new meth and fentanyl and, and all sorts of stuff. He's got a great new book out, among other yep. things. And we got to hear that stuff from uh, Gascon, because it's just so interesting. Oh, yeah, George Gascon, who ruined San Francisco, then uh, moved down to L.A. to ruin L.A. He's being recalled right now, right? Uh, well, there's a, a recall election that's that's going on, but he's not recalled yet. You don't want this attitude for your district attorney wherever you are, if you haven't heard this. And he sounds like a Bond villain stroking his cat. He's an odd bird. I mean, he's he's decriminalized crime and brought death and horror upon the people of L.A. So the fact that he sounds a little funny is probably a minor point. But he does, and we'll deal with that coming up. If you ever miss a chunk, you think, oh, my God, I wish I could hear that, but i got to go into work. Just grab Armstrong and Getty On Demand. It's the radio show made into a podcast at armstrongandgetty.com or wherever you like to get podcasts. All right? All right. This is the United States of America, for God's sake. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So I've never heard, I don't know how, but I've never heard George Gascon. He was the DA in San Francisco. Now he's a DA in L.A. He he seems like he's a communist. He, he was is. born in Havana, but his, his family escaped Havana because of communism? But he seems still like a communist. Well, you know, the theme emerging for today's show, actually the theme of every show, is we get done with four hours, we get paid. Um, but uh, <laughs> the the sub-theme is you can't solve a problem until you recognize what it really is. And we have a couple of issues going on in America. You know, there's the pullback of the police in the wake of the George Floyd madness. And uh, there are a number of, of, of states and cities that have passed just idiotic uh, bail reforms and propositions that decriminalize crime. But to a large extent in America's cities, we have a 
DA problem. We have a district attorney problem. We have these radical leftist DAs who have been well-financed by some of the usual suspects on the left, have gotten elected uh, promising to straighten out inequity and, and, and racism and the rest of it, but what they've done is actually turned loose predators onto the streets. Um, there are a number of examples of this. Uh, uh, why don't we, well, we promised L.A., let's start in L.A., uh, Jonathan Hunt on Fox News talking about all the robberies. Let's begin uh, with 33, Michael. Armed robberies, while down in the early part of the year, have also recently shot up. But the district attorney called today's press conference to announce he would be, quote, outlining accomplishments during his first year in office. I am Here's- proud of our entire team in the L.A. County District Attorney's Office. We cannot prosecute our way out of social inequalities income inequalities, the unhoused, the desperation that we have. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So the district attorney's job is to cure social inequality, racial inequality, and the unhoused? Yeah, what the hell is that? Wait what the hell is that accent, too? Well, Why do you talk this? like that? I'd stop stroking that white cat. It's weirding me out. Play 34 again, Michael. I am proud of our entire team in the L.A. County District Attorney's Office. We cannot prosecute our way out of social inequalities, income inequalities, the unhoused, the desperation that we have. What the hell are you talking about? That's not your job. He is so far out of the mainstream. I mean, he's way, way outside of Democrats by far. He's in some sort of, like... Half a one percent of La La Land people. We can't prosecute ourselves out of crime. All these smashing grabs that everybody seems to be in agreement. The lack of bail, the 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 changing what's a felony and whatever is what is what's leading to this. But you've got a new answer that's going to be something to do with equity. You're gonna. Pro- you're crazy, man. What you're you a crazy about? person. What's he talking about? Income inequality for at all? He believes he is an actual communist. He believes, like Lenin believed, V.I. Lenin, like Lenin believed that people only commit crimes because of economic needs. Human beings, if their economic needs are being met, will not commit a crime. He clearly believes that, which makes you a freaking nut job. Uh, Michael, let's play 35 and 36 back to back. They feature the uh, sheriff uh, of L.A. County, Alex Villanueva. The reasons for the crime surge are obviously complex and can't be entirely placed at one person's door. But the L.A. County Sheriff told us today the D.A. has to accept some blame. The message he's delivered to the criminal community, they've heard him loud and clear. And the sheriff says there has to be change. He's going to be recalled, and that's the change we need. I cannot see him um, you know, doing a 180 and saying, well, that was a bad idea. No, he's going to double down on stupid. When the cops in a blue city are saying of their district attorney that he's basically a nut job, um, yeah. that's something. Yeah, yeah, he's just going to double down on stupid. Wow, that is that is something. You know, uh, fellas, grab the Lori Lightfoot clip from the other day if you can, conveniently enough. So you had Lori Lightfoot, who's the mayor, granted, not the DA, uh, blaming the businesses for the smash and grabs. Uh, Brian Yanis of Fox News um, reporting on a number of different cities, including Philadelphia. See if uh, the Philly commissioner reminds you of old George Gascon a lot in clip 30. 
Nationwide, at least 12 major cities have reportedly broken all-time high homicide records in 2021, including Philadelphia, where 523 people have been murdered this year. That's up 13% compared to last year and breaking the previous record set in 1990. Despite this, Philly's progressive district attorney, Larry Krasner, says there is no crime crisis. Basically, we don't have a crisis of lawlessness. We don't have a crisis of crime. We don't have a crisis of violence. Philadelphia's former Democratic Mayor Michael Nutter called Krasner's comments ignorant and insulting. I have to wonder what kind of messed up world of white wokeness Krasner is living in to have so little regard for human lives lost. That is the black Democrat former mayor of Philadelphia. What kind of white wokeness is being this... Uh... Yeah, I'd like to, about I wish lives. I'd I wish I'd memorized that sentence. Yeah. What were yeah, somebody get the end of that clip for us. That's uh, that's something. Well, you got to realize we the, America set a record for homicides from 2019 to 2020, biggest jump in the history of the country. And now a whole bunch of cities are setting records from that record. Right. It's right. incredible. And apologies to our friends in the Bay Area. We didn't even get to a chance to touch on San Francisco and the, the horrors going on there, which are pretty well documented under the gentle tutelage of another Marxist, Chesa Bodine, who is, well, he's an avowed, you know, utopian Marxist, uh, you know, bring on the worker revolution guy. All right, and they didn't keep it a secret when they were running for the office of what their beliefs were. There are enough idiots in L.A. and San Francisco to vote for these communists to be in charge of the crime in your area. Or the same people just don't show up and the activists do. we got to play that Gascon clip over and over. He's out of his mind. Yeah, crazy person. Yeah, I'd say. Stay with us if you can. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Oh, there have been so many things I wanted to talk about today. I apologize. Uh, I, I said we would get to how Looney Tunes Seattle has gone. It's a story about uh, a, a junkie camp on school grounds that they haven't cleaned up. In spite of all the dangers and the weirdness and having to lock down the school and the rest, they're just so tied up in their own ideological knots. They are letting a junkie camp go right next to a school. We'll tell you that tale coming up in a couple of minutes. Speaking of drugs... I had the pleasure of having an extended conversation yesterday, last afternoon, with Sam Quinones, journalist and author of The Least of Us, True Tales of American Hope in the Time of Fentanyl and Meth. He's the author of that extended excerpt uh, from his book published in The Atlantic, which we talked about uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago and then again earlier this morning about the P2P meth and how uh, the cheap, potent Mexican meth has swept across America and is causing severe mental illness. Uh, one of the other topics of the book, obviously, is fentanyl. It's right there in the title. Um, and and it's killing the hundreds of thousands, which we discuss in the next clip. By the way, if you have to go away or whatever, uh, you can listen to the entire Armstrong and Getty Extra Large podcast with Sam Quinones. Just go to armstrongandgetty.com or wherever you get podcasts. Just search on it. You find it or subscribe to the podcast is the easiest way to do it. Uh, but at any rate, uh, here is just a, a small excerpt of our conversation yesterday with Sam Quinones. 
Well, we uh, I read with interest the excerpt from your new book in The Atlantic uh, entitled, I don't know that I would even call it meth anymore. And we've spent a lot of time talking about that, partly because the show is based on the West Coast. And there is hardly a West Coast city of more than 6,000 people that does not have a serious problem with, quote unquote, homelessness or homeless camps and that sort of thing. Uh, and I think to a very large extent, those are, are uh, junkie camps. They're meth camps. But before we get to the meth thing, which is fascinating um let's talk a little bit about opioids and heroin and fentanyl which were it not for the the covid thing i think would be an international conversation it would be the leading conversation on earth probably yeah well it's 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 certainly um extraordinarily important and perhaps because because of covid not really getting the attention uh it, it deserves basically fentanyl is fentanyl is a is a wonderful um, drug, medically speaking, it's highly likely that your 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 colleague is is being given fentanyl as we speak. Uh, it revolutionized surgery. It allowed for anesthesia that that really wasn't possible uh, before that. And of course, that's all within the medical uh, context. But once in the hands of the the underworld, it's 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 a whole other story. Uh, fentanyl is a very powerful, much more powerful than morphine, much more powerful than 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 um, than, than heroin, and um, it's part of on, on the street, and, and it's part of the, the Mexican trafficking world's uh, shift, you might say, away from uh, what they traditionally focused on, which were plant-based drugs, marijuana, of course, first, uh, opium poppy, too, um, away from plant-based drugs and towards synthetics. Um, this happened with methamphetamine, but then as the opioid epidemic took took shape in our country lots of people began shifting to heroin they began producing heroin down in mexico more of it than they'd ever had before and along the way they discover fentanyl this is a synthetic heroin you make it with chemicals only the benefits of synthetic drugs over plant-based drugs to a trafficker are many right you don't need land you really just need a a warehouse of some kind or some place to, to put your your lab that's very small and then you don't need rain, sunshine, you don't need farmers to harvest it, you don't need um, just a lot of things, pesticides, et cetera. All you really need is access to shipping ports. Once you have access to shipping ports, which they do on the Pacific coast of Mexico, there's two major ports right down there, um, you, you, get, you can get access then to all the world, the world's chemical market, which is, is vast and huge, and, and it, it comes from China, but it also can come from like almost any country, really, once you have, once you have a port to receive it uh, in. And so that is what's been going on. It really, their, their, their move away to, to, towards synthetic drugs really began with methamphetamine years ago, and that's changed too recently, as I wrote, wrote about in the book and in the excerpt you're referring to. Um, but and then along the way, they discover fentanyl and another story that I talk about in the book, how the Sinaloa drug cartel discovers fentanyl, very interesting tale, um, largely due to one uh, one underground chemist in particular. Um, but what that means is that they can produce now drugs um, all year round. There's no seasons anymore. Right. There's no summer and fall when you have synthetic drugs. And if you can get the chemicals that you need. Um, you can produce it in just stunning quantities, and that is really what's happening. They they control, uh, when at least when it comes to those those chemicals, they they control uh, the traffic at the at these ports. They're able to produce both fentanyl and methamphetamine 
in quantities that are absolutely um, uh, staggering, just unprecedented quantities, so much so that they've done something that is really unprecedented in this uh, in this country, uh, where one source, uh, underground, un- underworld source, has been able to uh, effectively cover the entire country with these with these two drugs. And in methamphetamines case, the price is, has collapsed. So in many areas, the price of methamphetamine is, is 80% lower than it was a few years, a few years back. But whatever the case, they now have, the, these drugs are now all across uh, the country there. You know, New England never had any methamphetamine and now it does, you know, yeah. fentanyl is found everywhere. And so this is the, the, the enormous uh, fact that we are now having to contend with uh, as a country. We get into, in the next clip, the deadliness of fentanyl, and Jack is asked quite appropriately on a couple of occasions, uh, how is this good for drug dealers? They're killing their customers. Well, Sam Quinones explains. Well, I was going to say, uh, one of the obvious advantages to a smuggler is that the stuff is so incredibly powerful, a small amount will get many, many people high, but it sounds like it's so profitable that that they're taking the risks, uh, such as they are, to ship enormous amounts of this stuff. Hey, remind us, I think we've all heard anecdotal, uh, you know, uh, bits of quote-unquote trivia about how, you know, a, a, an ounce of fentanyl can kill X number of people. It's really quite astounding, isn't it? Well, fentanyl is, is um, yes, it, it, it's, you know, a few grains of salt is what you're talking about normally. To kill a person who, who is, uh, doesn't have any tolerance to the drug, again, this is an opioid, like heroin, like morphine, it develops, you develop tolerance on it. But if you have none, um, uh, you know, a few grains of salt is all it's really going to take. The, the, what that means is that this is more profitable than any other drug that the underworld has ever encountered. However, what it also means is that to access that profit, they need to now mix it with something. It's not commercially viable to sell a few grains of salt on the street. You know what I mean? So you have to mix it with powder. The problem is they're extraordinarily bad at mixing uh, uh, this kind of stuff. They don't know what they're doing. Most people on the street don't know what they're doing. Some people in Mexico seem to maybe know, but, but not, a, but, but not the, the majority. And so, well, right, and clearly the margin for error is so incredibly small with something that powerful. Exactly, right. Early on in the book, um, I tell the story of how early on when fentanyl first started coming over here from China, being mailed through the mail largely, and, you know, kilos or half kilos or pound sizes, not very large, um, people here didn't know how to mix it either. Um, and they'd be, the myth grew that you could mix it best with a magic bullet blender, the magic bullet blender that you see at Target for like, I guess, twenty nine ninety five, I think it was. We, we own one at our house, um, and they make, it's great for in making there. smoothies. Uh, let me jump in there, because I'd, I'd, misunder, I'd misremembered exactly how the conversation unfolded, and one of the points I wanted to get in before the break, because I promised it, is that... Um, <clears throat> What's happening is that the drug dealers, the cartels, the Mexican cartels and the drug dealers are now using fentanyl to beef up, say what you want, Uh, virtually every single drug that they sell. He goes on to tell me later that there is not a line of cocaine available or it's, it's extremely difficult to find a line of cocaine available that doesn't have fentanyl in it or uh, meth, or whatever. They're, use, they're sprinkling a teeny bit of fentanyl in everything. Why? Well, as Sam Quinones explains, that, you know, your average Coke user, 
get all coked up, but the, then they think, oh, my God, this is too much. It's crazy. I'm going to take a few days off. I'm going to take a week off. I'm going to take a month off. Then they have another party. They do some blow, whatever. If everything has fentanyl in it, that casual Coke user almost immediately becomes a fentanyl addict, becomes an opioid addict. And that weekly or monthly customer becomes a desperate daily customer. It is nearly impossible to quantify the evil and the effects of the evil of the Mexican drug cartels. Um that's all part of the Armstrong and Getty Extra Large podcast. It's available at armstrongandgetty.com with Sam Quinones. We'll uh, hit another uh, highlight for you next hour. If you don't get the next hour, that, like the podcast, is available at armstrongandgetty.com. City of Seattle, you got junkies inhabiting a junkie camp right next to a public school. And they've done nothing about it for months and months and months. They finally tried to do something about it. Their efforts were tragic comic. And we'll tell them, uh, tell you about them next. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The makers of Oreos have announced a partnership with the wine brand Barefoot to offer an Oreo Thins Red Blend wine, which complements the chocolate and cream of the cookies. So if you're craving Oreos and red wine, don't worry, you're going to get through this breakup. Mmm. Mmm. I will withhold my comments on all of the fine products in that story. You can do better. Anyway, uh, so uh, have you you remember the story? Broadview Thompson School in Seattle. It's K through eight, okay? It's the littlest kids. There's been a junkie camp, a, a tent camp there, which, of course, in Freeattle, one of the bluest of the blue, diluted unicorn-riding precincts in America. Of course, oh, those are just people disenfranchised by income inequality and, and housing prices and probably white supremacy, so we don't dare ask the junkies to get off the school campus. Really, seriously, how crazy is that? And though the city pledged at least a month ago it's been, to clear the encampment before the end of this year, it's let multiple deadlines come and go. So many of the neighbors and the poor kids' parents are wondering if the city is finally just going to do nothing or, or, or if they got to change tax or whatever. Turns out they hired somebody. They paid somebody money to clear out the encampment. You're thinking, well, don't they have a health department? Don't they have cops? Don't they have what? Don't they have something like that? Well, after demands from parents, teachers, and neighbors to clean the encampment out because of the crime, rodent infestation, and the the lockdowns that they had to do on the school when there would be violence at the junkie camp right there, they they hired up one Mike Matthias, who runs a nonprofit called Anything Helps, Okay. They pin their hopes, the Seattle public school system, pin their hopes on this one-man organization. Turns out this guy's got a criminal record as long as your arm. He's a former, formerly homeless meth addict who ran the organization. He's had to step down from his role now. But um, this guy, 
it's incredible. They they was giving they were giving five thousand dollars to this guy to begin his work. Donations also have been coming into the fledgling organization. Uh, turns out he's got an extensive criminal past as well as addiction, mental health challenges. God bless him. He attacked a couple in a vehicle in a road rage incident in 2017. After berating the couple, he followed them in another intersection, exited his vehicle, damaged the couple's car. Uh, they admitted to that in 2018. He was caught shoplifting from Target at the time. He admitted he'd done it, done it many times uh, because he's a junkie. Um, he's been called a grifter and a ripoff artist and a crazy person, the rest of it. But for some reason, Seattle schools paid him $5,000 to get his fellow junkies off the school campus. He did nothing. And so now their $5,000 is gone. They're not sure what to do. I just, I, you can't make this stuff up. People have lost their minds. Ideologic, ideology makes people insane. Speaking of which, anybody who still believes Jesse Smollett is probably a cuckoo bird. Matt Finn on Fox News last night reporting on the the prosecution's uh, final arguments in the trial of the, what was the phrase, the junior high talent show level racial hoax that he and his Nigerian buddies tried to pull off. Clip number 40, please, Michael. In closing arguments today, Special Prosecutor Dan Webb presented the jury with six points he says destroyed Smollett's credibility. In short, Webb and police allege Smollett withheld critical evidence like cell phone data because he never wanted the alleged hoax to actually be solved. The prosecution also telling the jury that Smollett misled police about his attacker's ID, lied about tampering with the noose, and lied about the nature of his communication with the Osindaro brothers. The prosecution also arguing medical records corroborate the Osindaro brothers' testimony that they held held back their punches. A Northwestern doctor testifying under oath that Smollett had no known injuries. Yeah, I like the comment that the uh, Osindaro brothers are the world's most ambitious and lazy uh, racial haters in the world as they lured old Jussie out in the wee hours of a bitterly cold uh, Chicago morning allegedly to buy an egg or eggs and a Subway sandwich. And when they successfully duped their their uh, physical training partner uh, out into the cold so they could beat the bejesus out of him because they hated him for being gay even though he was their buddy. Huh? They got him alone. They got him having purchased their MAGA hats and their noose and their bleach, and they barely touched him at all. The beating that claimed to take about 30 seconds. Hey, you ever been in a fight? It's been a long damn time, thankfully. I have. I've been in a few scrapes. Anybody lands a punch, it hurts. It hurts a lot, eventually. And there's swelling, and there's cuts, and there's bruises, and there's the rest of it. At his worst, Jussie Smollett looked like he'd uh, you know, had an itch, and he scratched it too long. He had no injuries whatsoever, even though he had the bejesus beaten out of him by two gigantic Nigerian weightlifters. And that's what we're supposed to believe. Okay, all right, super. Anyway, the uh, the jury has the the trial at this point. They're deliberating, I should say, and we may indeed uh, hear a verdict before too terribly long. You know, I, the the truth of the thing seems pretty obvious to me. Honestly, probably seems obvious to you too. But the specifics of the accusation and the guy involved and the claiming it was racism and it being in Chicago and then the, the gay thing, the rest of it. If I'm the defense, I'm feeling reasonably comfortable. I can find one or two jurors who can't think coherently 
and are just going to refuse to convict the guy. Because even though these two guys weren't like MAGA hat-wearing racist maniacs, I've heard so many thousands of times that all Trump supporters are, and heck, most white people, they taught me that in junior high, high school, college, that white people are hateful and they're white supremacists unless they're anti-racist. So even though in this case, Jesse made it up, there's plenty of times it is real. So I'm not going to convict him. Kind of an OJ-ish thing. I'll bet, I'll bet a jury or, a juror or two, um, ends up saying that. I mean, I'm not sure, but it's certainly possible. So I, you know, I'm not worried about it. Old Jussie is, uh, I think he, I think justice is going to come to him, whether through the, uh, the Superior Court of the uh, County of Cook in Illinois or through karma. I think he's going to get his. Uh, you know, we've taken shots at Chicago, uh, Seattle, this segment, uh, my goodness, LA. How about the state of Cal Unicornia? Once again, congratulations, Cal Unicornia, named the worst judicial hellhole in the United States. Now, California had fallen out of the top spot, uh, I think it was last year, because Pennsylvania and the Philadelphia Court of Common Pleas and Supreme Court of Pennsylvania had become so screwed up that they, they temporarily eclipsed Cal Unicornia. But uh, congratulations. In the 20th anniversary edition of the annual report, California is named the worst judicial hellhole in the country, where frivolous lawsuits, lawsuits thrive and courts produce uneven rulings. Uh, said the statement after a two-year hiatus, the Golden State has once again reclaimed its top spot uh, atop the list. They mentioned Philadelphia. Uh, this year, it's too hard to ignore the significant lawsuit abuse and liability expansion occurring in California. Uh, so congratulations, California. Um, on the other hand, California has a lot of beautiful state and national parks and thousands of beautiful hiking trails and some beautiful scenery. So just try not to get sued. Hey, if you can't get the fourth hour of the show, which is coming up, just grab it via podcast at armstrongandgetty.com or wherever you download podcasts. Armstrong and Getty.